it used to take many, many, many decades to actually undo the market power of large, quote-unquote, tech or media titans. And now these things seem to happen every decade or so. I would say we should be a little bit more patient, see if we can build some new platforms and get some new competition to Facebook. And my biggest fear is that all the regulation that's being contemplated today in the name of going after Facebook and Google and others is ultimately just going to only solidify their market power because they'll be the only companies large enough and with enough resources to actually go about complying with the heavy regulatory costs that would be imposed by those laws. Welcome to the Mercatus Center Policy Download. I'm your host, Chad Reese. Privacy and social media have always had a complicated relationship. On the one hand, users of sites like Facebook often voice concerns when they find out how much of their personal information ends up with advertisers. On the other hand, the roughly 2 billion active users of Facebook continue to provide that data voluntarily in exchange for free use of the platform. Add political advertising to the mix, and you have the ingredients for an intense congressional hearing featuring Facebook CEO Mark Zuckerberg and a national conversation about whether or not the federal government should take a larger role in social media regulation. Here to address some of those challenges are three experts in the field. First, we have Mercatus Center Senior Research Fellow Adam Thier. Welcome to the show, Adam. Thanks for having me. Next, Legal Fellow Ashen Kazarian is here with us from Tech Freedom. Thanks for stopping by. Thank you for having me. Third, we have American Action Forum's Director of Technology and Innovation Policy, Will Reinhardt. Good to see you, Will. Yeah, thanks for having me. So I want to start with kind of the basics. Online advertising has been around for a long time. Advertisers basically always want more information about their customers. But we're talking about this now. So can someone briefly walk me through maybe the timeline of events or what got us to the point that Mark Zuckerberg is testifying before half of the U.S. Senate? 2008 is when Sheryl Sandberg joined Facebook and actually started monetizing on advertising on the platform. It's also around that time that they've allowed um, third-party apps to be on the platform. Cambridge Analytica, the company that has been doing data analytics and advising political campaigns across the world, have been purchasing data, including data from this app it was run by this privacy researcher who was kind of marginally connected to Cambridge, the University of Cambridge, named Kogan. And it seems like he set up a an app to effectively collect information. The data that was located in the app was specifically it seems like it, not a lot of people actually downloaded it, but how it actually got into the, you know, to the ether was that Kogan was basically used money that seems to have come from Cambridge Analytica to pay people to use Mechanical Turk to download the app and then just connect it to them. And that was, you know, that's how they got paid was just downloading the app. But that action, because of the way that the API at the time actually worked, is that if you downloaded the app, it was very pretty well known. I mean, we were I was actually doing research in, in grad school on this point. If you connected to the app, that the app itself could effectively get information about all of your your network. So it could get information about your friends through the network and a whole bunch of demographic information, which is what Kogan seems to have accessed, which is also thus how Cambridge Analytica got this data, which I think is pretty important because yeah. um, Cambridge, it, it seems that, you know, the the real thing I think is what people worry about is that it wasn't 
clearly evident that Cambridge Analytica was it wasn't uncommon for something like this to happen but really what was what was con- of concern was this is this kind of handoff between Kogan who had used this app for one specific purpose or it seems he was using it for one specific purpose and then they transferred it to Cambridge Analytica for for quite another purpose and the main problem with this also was that okay you download the app you consent even if you didn't read the privacy agreement yeah. however it collects also your friends information who have not consented to it. That was the big catch. That was why 300 users actually spread out. And I believe Mark Zuckerberg, during the hearings in Congress a few weeks ago, admitted that his data was affected too in Mm -hmm. in this whole ordeal. Mine was not, by the way. Did you check? Oh, yes, I did check. I've got good friends. (laughs) Apparently, I I keep good company, so... So if I can just try to summarize real quick to make sure we're on the same page. So it sounds like Facebook has lots of third-party developers that have their oh, own yeah. have their own apps. Mm-hmm. One of these apps was generated for one purpose. And the person who was running that app took the data that not only came from the people who used that particular app, but anything that was connected to them via their other Facebook friends, and then sold that off to, to other folks. Is that kind of the story? It seems so. Whether or not he was specifically paid for specifically that data, I think is actually kind of still an open question. Either way, though, we have data brokers. It's not something that is, you know, banned or morally wrong. I think just a lot of people are not aware of it or just don't even know how it operates. So we have data brokers who sell our information that we provide. I believe there was a study uh, where they analyzed a bunch of different free apps that we download and the value that we get out of them. And we value our main private information for about $1.49. Really? That cheaply? Yeah. So that's actually kind of where I'd like us to go here, because whether or not people want to you know, blame Facebook or third-party app developers, you know, the, the real question is kind of what the, what the policy response here is. So I've seen kind of, just in my own reading, maybe two general approaches. One, maybe we review the disclaimers and we make sure people know what they're getting into. The other approach is to regulate social media platforms like Facebook. Where do you all see the policy conversation heading and where should the policy conversation be heading? Well, I think we're embarking on a pretty ambitious new regulatory regime for social media platforms, both in this country and abroad, as data handlers and social media platforms come under greater scrutiny by regulators across the globe. Facebook's at the center of this because of their size and scope, but of course, you have Google and many other players that are involved. I think what's going to happen is that you're going to see Congress start to probably get more aggressive about investigating exactly how Facebook and other social media platforms collect and share data. And the question really becomes, how specific do those regulations get? And then more problematically, from my perspective, not the impact that they might have on Facebook or Google, but the impact they might have on the marketplace competition and innovation more generally. The regulation of this big tech that everyone keeps talking about actually wouldn't hurt the big tech at all. Adam was saying it's going to affect small companies that exist right now or the ones that are going to come up. Same thing with GDPR, the privacy regulation from EU that is going to take effect on May 25th. If you noticed your inbox get um, very full of emails about updating your the privacy policies from every major platform that you use, every account that you have, it's because of this GDPR. And these privacy rules, Facebook can easily comply with them. Almost every other major platform, Google, will comply with them with some difficulty, but still they can do it. Whereas 
smaller companies in U.S. if they are obliged to fit into that new mold of privacy regulation, they will be the ones who are going to be financially hurt. Yeah, and I, I mean, clearly there's a there's a cost to compliance. So whenever you raise the fixed costs, it's just going to make it even you know you know reiterating what everyone else has said. The policy responses I think have been kind of interesting. So they they've you know to kind of go back to this original question. The policy responses have been kind of all over the board. I mean, you have the the GDPR type of, you know, regulating use of data. There's also kind of a general conversation of, you know, maybe we should, we should just break up these these firms. We should just, you know, kind of, you know, hatchet them to, to death effectively. There's also, an, you know, a series of other sorts of regulations. Maybe we should have some, you know, privacy torts has been discussed and some of the other stuff, you know, kind of these extra added responsibilities for large tech firms. So I think everyone's trying to figure out, at least right now, unique ways of of dealing with companies and potential problems and nefarious behavior. I guess personally, I see that it, at least in the near term, the the kind of the market for reputation is probably going to be the biggest check on some of these firms. I mean, Facebook has changed quite dramatically, even in the last two weeks. I mean, so they, they announced that you now are able to, I think it was yesterday, you're able to effectively delete a lot of your, a lot of your history. They've given a whole new slew of controls over your past privacy and history. So I'm at least positive on, at least in kind of the, the first order of operations for me is really that, that this market for reputation actually is a pretty important competitive check that, that companies clearly are responsive to how individuals are actually, you know, how they perceive them in the, in the marketplace. I'd like to highlight, though, that Facebook is a very specific example, and they're in the middle of this storm. And we keep thinking about Facebook and kind of thinking that other um, tech platforms are like fa- Facebook. But Facebook is uh, very special in many ways, including the fact that they see themselves not just as a company that is there to make profit, but they see that they have a mission. And a lot of uh, times when they, even during the hearings where uh, the CEO Zuckerberg would say, you know what, we're not against regulation or, you know what, we think there should be some kind of way to rein us in. It's because they, they see themselves as just this social good, I don't know, just doves of bringing peace and prosperity to the world and connecting the world and having this higher mission, which is not a bad thing. It's a great thing. But the fact that they're making all of the submissions and kind of submitting to Capitol Hill being the, the teacher and saying, I, 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 is the reason of the whole tech industry is going to have to follow is the way I see it. That also, I mean, so this is something that, I, I, you know, not to reference another podcast, but... By all means, as long <laughs> as it's a good one. That's my only rule. Uh, yeah, so um, Exponent, actually, Exponent Podcast, which is, you know, probably one of my favorite podcasts on, you know, just generally tech. They talk a lot about this kind of internal organization of companies. And this is actually one of the big things they've talked about with Facebook. Facebook sees itself as a platform more than anything else. And that at least puts a certain kind of direction to the company and has been in in some cases it's been there uh, has created some of these problems i mean you know the the original purpose of the open api was to kind of create a platform and it actually worked pretty well i mean this is how facebook became facebook i mean before the apple itunes store it's important to remember facebook was the first one to open up and effectively create a platform in the way that we think of kind of platforms today in the kind of you know open application you mean uh, where these third party developers yeah, can exactly. create their own apps so and participate so the iphone app store came out after uh, Facebook's own effective app store came out or their their you know their application layer came out. So 
some really interesting interviews with with uh, Steve Jobs, he actually recognized very clearly what Facebook had created. And so Facebook, in, in this sense, this was something that they actually helped to develop in a very clear way. So this is, you know, going back to this Cambridge Analytica problem, this is something that I, I don't really know how to place because now we're in 2018. The conversation in 2009, 2010, even into 2014 is just very, very different. The kinds of privacy conversations we had back then I wouldn't. I wouldn't want to say they're non-existent, but it was still a very niche area. Not a lot of people. I mean, Adam was, you know, working on a lot of this stuff, but for the most part, it wasn't in a. It wasn't a constant conversation point in the way that it is now. And so, understanding that context, at least back in two thousand, you know, two thousand nine to two thousand fourteen, I think that's actually very. It's very key to understand that the conversation back then was very different than it is now. I think we can spend a little bit of time here too, because Adam, you you brought Google up earlier. Will you kind of? mentioned what a lot of people are talking about, which is this fear of tech giants in general, concern yeah. about should we should we break them up? And Ash, you even kind of mentioned, you know, Facebook even talks about itself as something more than just just a, a regular company. So I'm I'm kind of interested in how you all would respond to this this concern that maybe this is broader than Facebook or social media, that there are some tech firms that have just gotten too large, have too much control over the advertising space, and have too much say over the kinds of information we see. Is there something to that argument that maybe Facebook didn't do too much wrong in this sense, but these problems are just going to happen when you only have a couple of big tech giants, and the policy solution is to maybe try to find a way to break them up? In every generation of media technology, there are large companies and platforms. We are blessed today to have more large companies and platforms than ever before in the history of humanity. We have more choices as consumers, as speakers, and everything else, such that even if Facebook and Google are some of the biggest dogs in the ecosystem today, we still have other alternatives to choose from. It does not mean we shouldn't be worried about companies when they grow too large and we shouldn't continue to keep an eye on some of their behavior. It's just to say that the better way to address those concerns is to encourage still more competition and innovation. And a lot of people today, especially in the academy, seem to have given up on the idea that the old waves of creative destruction could ever blow through this sector again and decimate Facebook and Google the way it decimated the first and second generation of online platforms and players. Mm -hmm. We no longer take seriously companies we hear from in the past like MySpace and AOL, Time Warner, and so on and so forth, who at one point in time were the big tech titans of their time. But that was just 15 to 20 years ago. It used to take many, many, many decades to actually undo the market power of large, quote unquote, tech or media titans. And now these things seem to happen every decade or so. So I would say we should be a little bit more patient, see how, if we can build some new platforms and get some new competition to Facebook. And my biggest fear is that all the regulation that's being contemplated today in the name of going after Facebook and Google and others is ultimately just going to only solidify their market power. Because they'll be the only companies large enough and with enough resources to actually go about complying with the heavy regulatory costs that would be imposed by those laws. To piggyback on that, uh, one of the questions I always come back to is what exactly are – what's the goal? You know, what's the goal of, of your preferred regulation? If the goal is just to get more competitors in this space, well, what, what does that necessarily mean? I mean, if we're, if we're specifically talking about, you know, Google and Facebook – individuals that are using these services don't effectively pay anything. So if we're talking about a reduction in price in the way that we typically talk about, you know, monopoly problems, then we're not really in the same space here when we're talking about these kind of online platforms. But I think that actually highlights the complex nature of online platforms as 
taking into consideration two sides of the market, which is, you know, you have consumers or, you know, users, but you also have advertisers who are coming to the platform in order to connect to users. It also, you know, just kind of to have a little bit of perspective, it seems to me to be kind of odd that we're really talking at the end of the day about a competitive ad space, because at the end of the day, that's really what we're getting down to that, that Facebook and Google aren't competitive when it comes to ads. Now, we are seeing quite dramatically over the next couple of years, and you know, it's kind of well-known within the industry that Amazon's getting pretty big into the space, and so they'll provide kind of the, you know, they're, they're quickly becoming kind of the third advertiser within the space. But again, we're talking about balancing, each one of these businesses balances between two different kinds of users, or between two different types of groups, and, you know, one group being advertisers and the other group being the, the, the consumers. So to me, it just, I see a lot of, you know, I'm actively working on a lot of research in this space, primarily because it's still, we still kind of don't know what to do. We don't know what competition should look like. We don't really know, you know, the kind of just, you know, we need to have more. So, you know, what's the best number of firms that should be in the marketplace is always N plus one. That doesn't really seem to be the, it shouldn't necessarily be the end goal. So I still think that we need to kind of define what we mean by competition and, and really define what we actually want at the end of the day, what the end goals should be. And I honestly think that a lot of people who would reflexively want regulation don't necessarily know what that regulation is going to to bear. And 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 I and I think that's actually a very, very big problem here. And to piggyback on what Will said, during the hearings, one of my favorite moments was when one of the senators asked Zuckerberg, so who's your competitor? And then you can see Zuckerberg, who was, you know, well-prepared, and obviously a bunch of people prepared him for days, just get lost and just be like, what? <laughs> what do you mean? There, there are a lot of competitors. The whole internet is our competitor, all the, all the other platforms, Twitter, Yelp. Like, he kept bringing this up, and he, he kept saying, you know, depending on what exactly the user is coming to Facebook for, we have a different competitor. And that answer didn't really satisfy the person who was asking it. But the truth is, so Facebook has all this data about my behavior online. I recently looked up, you know, the categories that they put you under. And it knew that I live with roommates and that I'm expat and that I speak more than three languages and all of those things that are really creepy. But if you think about (laughs) it, I mean, the amount of times and amount of things I click on and amount of time I spend on Facebook, even when I'm not really on Facebook, I use Facebook mostly to keep up with relatives. I don't really use it anymore to keep up with friends. There are other platforms for that. It all kind of together, I'm like, I don't really want Facebook to be broken up. I don't want multiple platforms to have all that information on me. I'd rather have one big company that I trust more or less. And I know they have a huge uh, team of lawyers who are very good at what they do and are trying to comply with every single law. And they, again, have this kind of philosophy about the reason they are here, then have multiple platforms and to go to platform X to look up uh, reviews of different restaurants and platform X to communicate with your friends and platform C to tell your mom you're okay. You know, it makes no sense to me if this was some kind of other industry where it was railroads or I don't know, producing toys or whatever it was, I might have been more open to listening to arguments about breaking it up. Because then it creates, as you said, different pricing, it creates different options. But here, no one is stopping other platforms from coming in with Adam was saying is MySpace and AAL were a thing. I don't remember because I was too young for that. <laughs> but I'm sure they were a thing. That. 
But um, in 10 years, I'll be too old for that new platform, and I'll be asking my interns to help me figure it out. That's a really interesting component because a lot of what we've been talking about so far is sort of stewarding data and where companies put it intentionally. But Ash, you bring up data security as a cybersecurity issue. And do you all agree, is that is that a, a fair way to think about it, is that there are economies of scale here and to a certain extent, having larger firms in this space is better for consumers just because those companies can afford sort of better cybersecurity? Well, there's always, again, going to be large players in every tech sector and, and media era, you can have smaller players that specialize in privacy and security and offer even greater types of security and privacy. Certainly, that would be easy compared to Facebook, which is essentially a digital nudist colony. It exists for you to share. It does not exist for you to be private. By definition, when you go to Facebook, I believe there's there should be sort of a digital caveat emptor kind of thing where you you just know what you're getting into. And so I have very little sympathy for people who cry about not having a lot of privacy and security on Facebook. That's not what you're getting there. So what you are getting is a wonderful platform to share your experiences with the world, with your family and friends, and to make a lot of great connections. And you're getting it for free. This is a remarkable consumer welfare victory. So when we hear this talk about regulating Facebook on either privacy or antitrust grounds, I usually respond by saying, a, if you're looking for privacy, Facebook ain't your site. Go find another. B, if you're worried about market power, let's keep in mind that we have always regulated when we talk about consumer welfare to achieve lower prices, higher quality, better quantity. We're getting all of that and more. What do you want to do with regulation? <laughs> and what ironically a lot of people want to do is they want to raise the price of Facebook. They want to make people pay for those services. That doesn't seem like a consumer welfare victory to me. That seems like a loss. If they want to increase quantity, fine, but you don't do it by regulating the entire sector into the ground. And you certainly aren't going to get higher quality if you start imposing those controls either. So we need to think hard about how we create alternative platforms, not how we optimize yesterday's old ones and squeeze more juice out of an old lemon. A few things on that. First of all, for example, Google, right? tracks a lot of things you put in, even if when you're in do not track mode. But there's alternatives to that. There's DuckDuckGo. There are a bunch of other things you can do if you research a little bit. The All the suggested regulations that we've talked about in the past few months, they just assume that consumers are stupid. But if we look at the Cambridge Analytica scandal, so many people have been deleting Facebook. They've been making a conscious choice. And that's exactly what happens in a free market. You make a choice. Are you okay with this information being out there or not? Is the trade-off of being able to see cute puppy videos uh, that your like friend from college posts, is it worth it? I think yes. But everyone can make that choice. Going back to at least this pricing issue, which Adam, Adam brought up, and I, I think that he either has worked with Mercatus. I know he was working with you on a paper, which is Caleb Fuller's recent piece. And he actually tried to kind of suss out what was the, you know, what's the the value if we were to effectively make Google specifically a a paid for platform, how much would people actually pay for it? And he estimated, I think it was about 14 or $15 million per year of, is about how much they could get. Um, they currently, you know, market capitalization currently was at like $215 billion. So, you know, people are are not exactly willing to pay a lot for these services, it seems like. But they clearly are getting a huge amount of consumer value. 
to sum up some of these real big problems, I think within within privacy, I think Adam's exactly right, which is you know you don't go to Twitter and you don't go to Facebook specifically. You don't go there to be private individuals. You go there to to engage in a you know in a kind of semi in a semi public series of engagements with other individuals. I mean, and and this has been a huge huge benefit for individuals. On the privacy question, though, writ large, like what what would we get if we were to have either more competition in this in in this space, or you know, if you had different sorts of other platforms existing? I don't necessarily see why privacy would be the thing that you would would be your competitive advantage over over say a, a competitor because again we already have kind of DuckDuckGo we already have Elo for example was was one of these social networking sites that advertised that it would be more privacy sensitive but again it isn't necessarily that that individuals want they they do want the kind of content at the end of the day even though people do seem to harangue against newsfeed they they do like the content that comes through there these are i think really really tough questions about about the difference really between how people you know the, this this problem between revealed preference and stated preference that people say they want privacy but when they actually engage online they seem not really to care all that much but it's maybe just because it's a really really minuscule thing and that you know at the end of the day that what what they really value are these are these services and to really put a fine point on this, I think it's probably instructive to at least talk about trust because, you know, again, this this wasn't really necessarily an issue, you know, almost 10 years ago. This wasn't an issue that people really talked about all that much because they seem to trust these sites more than they do now. I think that's probably what we're seeing is this changeover, not necessarily in 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 like a changeover in privacy concerns, but a changeover in in trust. They can't trust these sites anymore. At least that's that that is at least one way to interpret it. Building on what Will said there, you know, what people value with an experience like Facebook and a lot of the rest of the modern internet ecosystem are costs, convenience, and connectivity. Those are clearly things they put a great deal of value on probably before they value privacy online and security. That isn't necessarily at all a good news story. There's probably too much sharing. There's probably too many security vulnerabilities on today's internet that need to be addressed. That being said, as Will also suggested, people are not completely ignorant sheep. They're, they understand there's sort of a quid pro quo and they're willing to make some of these trade-offs. And that might include giving away a certain amount of information or having sites that are a little bit vulnerable at the margins. So I think you know the problem with a lot of people in the academy and a lot of policymakers is that they have essentially an old sort of false consciousness narrative that people are just ignorant sheep being led to the cyber slaughter and we've got to save them from their own devices. And therefore, we should intervene. (laughs) Yeah. We got to basically intervene and make sure they don't use Facebook in this way or that Facebook's reconfigured and has different defaults or is a much different site than the way we're used to. And that will change the cost and convenience and connectivity part of the equation. The easiest way to deal deal with this or or to, to survey this is just to go to any room, as I often do when I'm at law schools or philosophy programs, and I'm debating these things. And I'll ask people, how many of you here would spend $9.95 a month for Facebook? I don't get a single hand in that room go up, no matter how many Facebook haters there are in the crowd. I say, how many of you would spend a quarter per search on Google? I don't get anybody taking that. I say, how about a penny? I don't even get many takers on that. And so you have to ask yourself, even if we had a mandate forcing us all to pay for these services or forcing them to all be perfectly private, we'd probably find people opting right back into the sort of situation they already are living through today. Because people like free. They like easy connectivity. They love convenience. These are things that are values that should be discussed as important 
alongside of privacy, security, safety, so on and so forth. It's really hard to weigh them, and we should always try to do our best to optimize for all of them. But we shouldn't try to force that upon consumers on the assumption that they're ignorant idiots. But that also brings us to a point that some of the critics of the current model say. They say people don't want to leave these platforms. However, the trust that they have given to these platforms is so great that we should change the model that we even operated with. They, um, Jack Balkin, professor at Yale Law School, has been talking about information fiduciaries for quite a few years, and now this concept has been picked up by some of the legislators, and it basically equals the relationship you have with an online platform to a one you have with your doctor or your lawyer or your bank, where they have such a sensitive data and a bulk of sensitive data, and also you come to them so often that they have this kind of responsibility to protect it um, overly and um, always uh, have your interests first and not act like a business, but act as your fiduciary first. And, you know, some some people think that this is the future of regulating the online platforms is just making sure the platforms have consumers' interests first and then their own as a business. You know, I'm going to let Will get to that in a second because he's done a lot of great work on this. But I'll just say this. The primary problem I have with the idea of information fiduciaryism is not the idea that Facebook and Google shouldn't be taking a special duty of care to handle data carefully. I like that idea generally. But the idea of mandating that by law will have certain consequences we have to think through. But we got to start by realizing that my relationship with Facebook or Google is very, very different than my relationship, which is a one-on-one relationship with my doctor or my lawyer or my financial planner. These are people who have a great deal more power over me and a great direct relationship with me and one that could result in financial or material or health ruin. That is not Facebook where I go voluntarily and put information on voluntarily and couldn't walk away from it any moment voluntarily. And ultimately, no matter how quote-unquote bad the harm is, it ain't death. (laughs) It isn't bankruptcy. It isn't legal kind of ruin or whatever else. So there is a qualitative difference in what we're talking about when we talk about the idea of fiduciary responsibilities in this context versus doctors, lawyers, financial planners. I mean, there's other, I mean, and I think Adam really summarized the kind of the clear problems with this idea, among others. One of the big things that I worry also about is that, well, there's also sorts of, there's other sorts of responsibilities that are clearly imbued within corporate contracts anyway. So, you know, if you're Google or Facebook, you actually have a, you have a fiduciary responsibility within the corporate structure to, to your shareholders. And so how do, how do those two things conflict? Now you kind of have these, uh, again, I, I, I like the entrepreneurial thinking of, of, of Balkan on this. I just think in practice, I don't really know what it looks like. I don't know what it looks like to necessarily have more responsibility over over information that you're that you're sending to individuals. What what exactly is necessarily the harm of a of Facebook sending you content? I mean, we I mean this really does open up a huge huge kind of that's, that's what this parade of horrible follow up. It does. What she yeah, likes does. to say is Google Maps shouldn't send you from point A to point B. Uh, for a route that passes IHOP just because IHOP paid them $12 for that. But that's kind of the idea where they shouldn't be putting that first. However, I don't understand it in the sense that that's very business, not Google Maps, but this that's just in general the way ads work. That's the way they make money, and that's the way they stay afloat. 
We've, I mean, and I guess the, the general point is that the fiduciary responsibilities have usually been applied to these very heavy, not heavy handed, but these very potentially problematic relationships that, you know, as Adam said, death, that's a, that's a pretty bad potential problem to have. Or bankruptcy, again, another really, really big problem to have. But, you know, being served specific content, I, I don't know. I, that, that to me seems to, there are other less egregious ways to deal with this. And it just seems to me to create a lot more problems than it actually solves at the end of the day. So if there's some hesitation about this idea of information fiduciary, let's clear the slate for a second and go with one one last lightning round before we wrap up here. And say each of you gets a call from a regulator or a member of Congress. They're well-intentioned. They say, my constituents are concerned about privacy and about these other issues that we've been talking about. What's, what's an avenue that I should be exploring? What would you tell them? What, what should they be spending their time on? Well, I think it's useful to think about how we can help incentivize the creation of all new platforms. And I'm not opposed to some creative thinking about how different types of parties can come together, including nonprofits and maybe even government organizations to try to incentivize that or fund it. That's always going to be better. It's always better to build new platforms as opposed to trying to regulate old ones. That's always a better option. And in this case, we're just trying to figure out how to solve for problems of the past, which ultimately aren't going to help us get to that goal of creating the, the kind of diverse kind of solutions that we need for a diverse citizenry. Now, if we want to take a specific stab at dealing with some of the particular problems on Facebook, we already have existing legal remedies and organizations that do a lot of this. We have the U.S. Federal Trade Commission, which enforces unfair and deceptive practices, which almost certainly is looking into this right now, which happened with Facebook. We have state attorneys general that deal with this sort of thing. Of course, international authorities. The, the ongoing oversight part of it, I have no problem with. But when you get down to the to the hard question about what specific regulation you want to put in place, I think that's where the well-intentioned rules that some envision to enforce you know, more privacy or security ultimately could backfire on us and lead us to a situation where we have just less competition and choice as a result. I personally think this is a real missed opportunity for some of the biggest platforms to come together and bind themselves in a, in a, you know, in a, different, in a different way. And I, I don't want to say – the, I don't want to say like that it's self-regulation, but it is sort of – it was an opportunity to act, to effectively kind of create a organization or to create a set of practices that these that these groups and individuals – you know, that these um, that these platforms or firms would, would abide by. I still think that's probably going to be the best way of dealing with these, these problems, which are pretty endemic within the internet. You know, we have the internet, you know, engineering task force, which deals with, you know, setting protocols. We have 3GPP, which deals with, you know, wireless protocols. There's a whole bunch of different organizations that have come together through the internet and something very similar happened with behavioral advertisements in 2009, 2010. I thought this was kind of a, a this could have been an opportunity for the largest companies to kind of come together to figure out, you know, we're going to try to deal with this privacy question in a very meaningful way. We're we're, you know, we're going to work to create almost like ombudsmen from our, you know, for our own for our own benefit. We're going to take the first initial step. Now, that obviously opens up the space for potential more regulation, which could be especially heavy-handed that effectively the government creates something akin to that, which I think is actually a very very worrying a worrying potential end result. But I still think that there are opportunities, at least for the organizations themselves to kind of come together and show that they're willing to be good actors in this space and they're willing to deal with problems, which they have been in the past. Google, Facebook, Twitter, Reddit, 
a lot of these social media platforms have actually done a pretty good job of when things have been presented to themselves, when, when things have been presented, they're actually, they, they deal with it in a meaningful way. If they were to show kind of a, a more unified face on this, I think that actually could go a long way in helping it. But at the same time, there's only really one company that's currently in the crosshairs right now. And that really just seems to be Facebook. And given that it's only really one company, I, I think that the, the, you have to have a, a certain amount of policy leadership there. And I don't necessarily see that happening because Zuckerberg is pretty okay with being regulated. So since I'm going last and Adam and Will already covered what I was going to say, <laughs> um, I think an, another very important part of what our representatives are, should do, not really are doing, is educating their constituents and talking to their constituents and understanding the issue before they do that. So I would say, well, thank you for calling me. Let me walk you through all these regulations and break down the problems that we have with Facebook because one thing is election interference. And Cambridge Analytica scandal kind of had reached the level of the storm that it did because also the Trump campaign used their services and other campaigns across the world that were not so popular with the liberal crowd have done the same. So I would say, Let's separate that into one bucket and talk about the regulation and the checks and balances we have in place for that. Then let's talk about privacy and how your privacy that is protected through Fourth Amendment is kind of really not the same thing than your consumer privacy and that privacy in the U.S. exists in this verticals, not one horizontal kind of right. And then let's talk about all the ads and advertising and what you see and how you are able to control it. And maybe there should be some kind of a better mechanism for platforms to create that you are in charge of that. Those are different things. And uh, you, every person who calls up their congressman or is worried about this should be able to fully understand and explain them back before they make a decision and vote for a certain representative in the next midterm elections. What I've heard during the hearings uh, this spring was that the Honest Ads Act, the act that is going to regulate uh, political advertising on platforms, basically is something that lawmakers want to push through before the midterms. That's going to be something we should all keep an eye on because that's the next big thing for platforms to be afraid. And it's also going to affect free speech and a bunch of other legal matters that are going to be part of constitutional kind of structure that we have. Well, thank you all for those recommendations. Hopefully, we've done some educating ourselves today. We like to wrap up by letting our guests inform our listeners where we can find your work online. So if you have a Twitter handle or a bio page that you'd like to share with our listeners, now would be the time to do it. I'll just quickly go around the table, starting with Adam. I'm on Twitter at, at Adam Thier, and I'm at the Mercatus.org website if they want to find more papers and information. Will? Yes, I'm at Will Reinhardt on Twitter, and you can find all of my work through the American Action Forum. Just go up to the top. It's AmericanActionForum.org. Click on Experts, and you can find me right there. And Ash? Twitter, Ashken, and also TechFreedom.org has most of my work I've done on tech policy and also the tech policy podcast that we host and release every Monday. Sounds good. And as always, you can reach me with your questions, comments, or complaints at crees at mercatus.gmu.edu or find me on Twitter at Chad M. Reese. Thank you all for joining us.